Now we're assuming it's feeding him oxygen. If we remove it, could kill him. Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Starve podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet here in Mono County in the Eastern Sierra. I'm your co host, Stacy, and with me we have your trusty sidekick, Christopher, and our intrepid producer, Doug. Trusty sidekick, intrepid producer. <laughs> we just need to know you, our place, do want, right? Do you want... Well, do you want... great titles today. I like this. <laughs> we should, like, change the adjective before every show, at the beginning of every show. But that could get dangerous. It though, could get after. very dangerous. <laughs> it could get very dangerous. But hey, it's May. It, yes. Yay. It, and then the sun is shining. Yeah. And, Yay. We April actually, showers bringing May flowers, we right? made it through the winter. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Which is, you know, remnants of winter will be with us for a few more months, I think. But I that's a good thing. We're all so. kind of coming out the other side. And Yes. You yeah. know, um, one of the things that's a big topic of conversation right now is the super blooms around the state, yeah. right? Yes. And they're you know, really going off big time because of all the water and moisture that we've had right through the winter. So, so, uh, I'm just going to start with an adventure. Is that okay? Go for it. <laughs> just start talking about it. Wills and I, um, after, you know, uh, spending all winter coming up the hill and working in the snow yes. and the snowstorms and all that good stuff. Uh, as the, flowers started to bloom. We lived down in Bishop. So as the flowers started to bloom down there, we thought, well, let's head the other direction for a day yeah. and see if we can start seeing some of these super blooms. And we were out a little bit earlier. We were recording this still. It's mid-April. And we went down to the Alabama Hills, um, which is one of our favorite places just to go and to yes. go out for a walk or what have you. And um, there were some flowers out. I think we were just a little too early. There are some of the little yellow flowers. This is my technical name for the wildflowers. <laughs> Wills knows all the names. The little yellow flowers, the little purple flowers, and the red flowers, like the paintbrush kind yeah, of flowers. Those right. were starting to come out, which was nice. nice. Because after a winter that we've had, those little pops of color even just kind of help lighten your psyche, right? It, it's Well, it's so true. And for us, it's not even because we haven't gotten down that to that area yet this year. Right. So for us, it's like, oh, dirt. There's dirt. You can see <laughs> dirt. We're getting excited for that. So I, I can know, imagine right? seeing the beautiful yellows and purples and reds is kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure they're really exploded by the time this episode is releasing. It was also interesting because you could also see the effects of the storms. Mm -hmm. um, the, a number of roads got washed out in the hills, especially Movie Road, which is the most popular road that yes. people drive around. So it, when we were there, it was still closed about halfway through, and I think it had washed out twice in a really? row. So you could really see the effects of the water coming down through those gullies mm -hmm. that are in the hills and just how powerful wow. that is. But it was also just really cool, and everyone just seemed to be happy to be out. And then what made it extra special is we... 
we took a little detour to go have lunch at the Alabama Hills Cafe right there in town. Nice. Which is one of the more delightful cafes on the east side. And yeah. um, we got there just at the right time in between two waves of people and got Perfect. a nice seat. And it was, you know, for us... You know, the food's great there. Mm-hmm. The food is awesome. Yeah. You know, lots of really great baked goods. So a little commercial for them and thank you for that. But also, <laughs> you know, one of the things we miss from the city is people watching. And mm-hmm. there were so many people there, young families, old people, people from around the world in this tiny little cafe in Lone Pine. And it was just delightful people watching That's for fun. like 45 minutes. People so. heading up and back from the eat from here, yeah. no doubt. Oh, but, totally. Yeah. It's it's one of those places, obviously, that has a reputation for people who come up mm-hmm. to ski or come up to hike or fish or what have you. And so, you know, there's there's these little places in all the little towns, yeah. right, once you learn of them. Um, and it's just off the side road and just look where all the people are. Yeah, right. And I think that's so that's so true of people who make regular trips up here mm-hmm. to, to ski in the winter or to hike and fish and camp in the summer is, you know, your family, you have your traditions of where you stop, right. you know, and when you stop. And I know my husband has had, you know, that experience. And, oh, yeah, well, we used to always go to the merry-go-round in Lone Pine. Right, and, which is still there. Um, which is still there, a different type of restaurant now. <laughs> right. Um, which actually has fabulous food, so shout out to them, too. Right. Um, but, yeah, you the families have the those traditions and i think you, you've heard it from some of our guests along the way yeah. you know that oh yeah well when i was a kid we went to shots yeah. or what have you absolutely well everyone so, goes to shots well. <laughs> that place is always crowded oh i know it's ridiculous <laughs> but back to the wildflowers so we're seeing beautiful colors yeah and what was nice it, you know just one last comment yeah. about it cuz we were there again kind of early in the season. Mm-hmm. And so um, the flowers were just popping up from the ground and they were popping up underneath the brush, underneath the, the sage yeah. and what have you, like literally right within the so little cool. shadow of each bush. So it, sound, it looked, when you looked out across the vista mm-hmm. and saw all the sage and every other bushes out there, each kind of just was sitting on a little pillow of yellow yeah. or yellow and purple. And I'm sure there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it was just so, it just kind of added another layer of magical experience to the whole That's thing. So nice. And then, you know, you, you had the Alabama Hills, which are delightful to look at. And then behind that, the Sierra is still covered in snow. Yes. So this dramatic white backdrop to all of this, just really, you couldn't take a bad picture with Beautiful. your iPhone, which, which is great <laughs> because I take horrible pictures with my iPhone, but that day they all came out really good. So that's great. What a nice adventure for yeah. a, an early spring day. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, listeners, if you're traveling up to the Eastern Sierra and spy some wildflowers, let us know. Send us a picture. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Yep. That's right. You're atop uh, the majestic Sierra Nevada, somewhere mm, right about 11,000 feet. You're exhilarated, but a little challenged. At the same time, the abundant altitude makes for not-so-abundant oxygen. And breathing deep is a deliberate choice. You sit down, you pour yourself some tea from the thermos in your pack, you're listening to the Oxygen Starved Podcast, bi-weekly chats on Mono County Adventure and on the world of books and literature, and chats with east side denizens who help make the place pretty darn cool. 
Chats hosted by County Superintendent of Education Stacy Adler and Mono County Librarian Christopher Platt, both accustomed to the air up here. Thanks for making the trek. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the B Books portion of our podcast. And this time, Stace, we chose to each read something different because last time we talked about the same book. Right. And we went nonfiction. And we went nonfiction. Haven't done that in a while. Because neither of us have done that in a while. So we just, we forced ourselves to do that. It wasn't a force. <laughs> I mean, it was good. We needed to change it up no, a little it bit. It's, it's important to do that yeah. from time to time. What did you read, Stace? I read. A book, it's got a long title. It's called The Longest Race Inside the Secret World of Abuse, Doping, and Deception on Nike's Elite Running Team. And it's written by Kara Goucher, who's an Olympian, mm-hmm. just, you know, an elite runner. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, her co-writer is Mary Pilon, who was a New York Times sports reporter. Oh, awesome. So, um, Quality. really interesting um book, you know, I followed Kara Goucher's career, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time. She's um, you know, very she's a you know, kind of a big name in the in the world of women's running, um, along with our friend Dina Castor, who's been right. on the show. Shout out to Dina. <laughs> um but you know this this was a really this was a difficult book to read. In what actually. way? Actually, well, Kara Goucher, as I said, she was an elite runner. She was um, recruited by Nike's The Oregon Project, which was a sub project. Um, you know, Nike is based in Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's got this huge, tremendously large campus. You have all the, you know, all of their sponsored athletes. You know, it's got a Michael Jordan building. And, oh, right. You know, Lance Armstrong and, right. you know, all Mia Hamm, all these, all these fabulous athletes who have been sponsored by Nike, um, you know, are represented in this huge training center. And Kara Goucher, she was recruited along with her husband, Adam, to join this Oregon Project, which was coached by Alberto Salazar, who yeah. himself is a you know very famous um, marathon right. runner, and so she she throughout the book she tells of her how she grew up in you know mostly in Minnesota. She had some tragedy in her life. Her dad was killed by a drunk driver when mm. she was very young. Um, they moved back to, that happened in New York. They mm-hmm. moved back to Duluth, Minnesota, where her grandparents lived. Uh, her mother remarried and mm-hmm. the her new husband was rather verbally abusive and difficult to live with. So, oh. you know, she had a very difficult, you know, kind of a difficult childhood, but it was her grandfather that turned her on to running when she was very young, like six years old. And that running became her solace and her, you know, her escape from every, all of those things. And was her grandfather a runner? Her grandfather was a runner as well. He was an immigrant, Mm -hmm. but he took her out for her first race. You know, one of those little one mile fun Mm -hmm. runs that you do on like 4th of July or what have you. Um, and so from that, you know, she, she ran it all through high school. She ran in college, um, and you know, after college, she was recruited by 
this Oregon project. Um, her and as I said, her husband Adam Goucher was a runner. Also, okay, they were both recruited, and as they got deeper into this, as as she started having more success, the attentions of Salazar kind of changed toward toward her. Whereas they went from originally she was like the afterthought because Mm -hmm. she was the only woman. Once she started having success and he started giving her more attention, there were some things that were really inappropriate that that he did. Um, That Salazar did. That Salazar did. And Mm. she endured them. She carped compartmentalized things that were happening um, to her. Um, She didn't really say anything. You know, she always felt like she, she, you know, maybe she was as, as women so many times do when they're victimized, they look inward. They say, Oh, well, if I hadn't done this or I'm to blame because I did that or said that, you know, there was a lot of that going on with her. Um, and then this was her livelihood, right? You know, she couldn't, you know, if she came out and said something publicly against him, she could lose her livelihood. And at that point she was, you know, earning more money than her husband was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had a baby and then that there was issues with her contract. He didn't necessarily support her. It was really to hear of those, I don't want to call them atrocities because mm-hmm. let's face it, it this was a, it's kind of a small thing in the grand scheme of the world. But for this individual, it was huge. Of course. You know, and traumatic. And so uh, was it, I'm sorry, was no. it similar to, because um, I'm unfamiliar with her, yeah. but is it similar to some of the other reports where, you know, uh, Olympic athletes or professional athletes who are living in a very kind of controlled world? and relying on their coach, those leader figures to kind of guide their lives in a way. And then the corporate overlords are kind of guiding their lives. And you don't really, I imagine, feel like you have a whole lot of escape or wiggle room and then things happen to you and, and it's hard to speak out because you're speaking out against something so So big. big. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's very much this you know, this story is very much like that. And I think it's, it's even more, um, it's made more difficult by the fact that she's a woman. Right. Right. And so, you know, I, I don't consider myself much of a feminist in any Mm -hmm. way, but, you know, just reading what she went through and the, the different, of her treatment by mm-hmm. these men, not just Salazar, but, you know, the the guys who were, you know, overseeing him in Nike, mm-hmm. guys that were making the, the big decisions. The, she talks about this one guy, Cap. Mm-hmm. And Cap is the guy, I can't remember his full name, but he's the guy that makes all the decisions about what athletes Nike takes on mm-hmm. and how this guy was you know, so nice and so kind to her at the beginning. And then when she got injured or when she had a baby, when she, you know, wasn't mm-hmm. performing to the level that they expected her to, he wasn't there to support her, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was, that was really hard to read, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, you're, you're rooting for her, you're cheer, cheering for her because you want her to be so successful. 
And, you know, and then sometimes you're like, why didn't you say something, right. you know? But of course, I mean, if I were in the same position, I would have done the exact same thing that she would have. I wouldn't have said anything either. And um, I don't want to give any spoilers right. away, so I'm not going to say any more about that. But the, you know, it, there were parts that that were hard to read, but I was I was glad to you know, to know that's what's really going on here. And it wasn't, it wasn't just transgressions against her, but mm-hmm. the, the doping, doping of, of the, some of the athletes and all those kind of covert situations, mm-hmm. um, that were going on through the Olympics. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really, it must've made her, it must've been really difficult. You know, right. I mean, that comes across in the book and, um, she does mention coming to Mammoth Lakes to train, which was, you know, that was kind of fun to read about. And she doesn't talk about it very much, right. but, um, and she does, like I said, she mentions our friend, our friend Dina right. and, you know, what, you know, what it was like to run against Dina. She, she did not beat Dina. <laughs> There's no spoilers there. Dina beat her, but, um, you know, I, it was it was a really interesting read and an interesting look yeah. into a very specific organization. Um, yeah, that probably doesn't have a whole. Otherwise, this story probably wouldn't have come out, right? You know, it, it, true. And you know, I think it's interesting now that Nike is so in the news right now, not only because of of mm. stories like this. And this just was published in um, March of this year, so this is a right. this is new. Um, and, but you know, with the, the new Ben Affleck ma- movie air, that's all about m- Michael Jordan, D- Michael, yeah. Nike's recruiting, so to speak of Michael Jordan. Um, I think it's really interesting how they're, you know, you're getting a full kind of perspective and my understanding of, of the Michael Jordan movie is, you know, n- also n- doesn't necessarily paint that flattering of a mm-hmm. picture of, of Nike too. So it'll, it's interesting to see how that's um, yeah. out there in the the world these days. I think there's probably a lot uh, that consumers could better understand about corporate sponsorship of mm-hmm. individuals, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not corporate sponsorship of organizations. It's, these are actual people, people right. uh, with lives yeah. and, you know, are humans and are good one day and bad the other, you know, in terms yeah. of like, you know, the performance and what have you. And I look all props to, um, especially the young women who go through this. Yes. I'm thinking of the Olympic gymnastics team, mm-hmm. right. um, who really just bravely speak up about this yeah. because it's got to be like trying to face down an army, you know, mentally to actually say this kind of stuff or and, put it in print. And, you know, I wonder if, if they hadn't had the courage to come out and speak like they did mm-hmm. and the other mm-hmm. women that have come out from that sport, um, if this book would have ever been written, if she would have been able to do what she did. But, you know, right. having that example set for her by by kids, kids, you know, yeah, these, these were, yeah, much, they were much younger than she is. Yeah. Um, if that didn't kind of give her a little push to say, okay, I, I really need to do this now. And there were some other pivotal moments that led her to do what she did, but um, I, I don't want to give away anything. So without giving away anything, can you just tell me, do you think she's in a good place now? Yes. It, it, it did. It 
does seem like she she is in a good place and um you know raising her son and doing commentating for NBC the Boston Marathon is running on the Monday after we record this so I'm not sure if it'll be her or Dina doing the commentary but awesome I'm sure it'll be one of them <laughs> but that's called that the, the title again is The Longest Race Inside the Secret World of Abuse, Doping, and Deception on Nike's Elite Running Team. And it's by Kara Goucher. So if you're interested, if you're a runner, if you're a Nike fan, right. if you are a running fan, uh, I would really encourage you to pick this up. I will make sure so, we have copies in the library too. How about you, Christopher? Well, my nonfiction title also kind of deals with some difficult subject and also has a very long subtitle. So I'll just <laughs> launch into that. It's called Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why It Matters, and What to Do About It. And this is by Richard Reeves of the Brookings Institution. And those of you who may be familiar with the Brookings Institution, it's kind of one of these think tanks, but it's famously nonpartisan. So um, when someone from there puts out a book on a topic, you're kind of can anticipate getting um, an all-sides view on an issue. Um, Richard Reeves is um, British-American and has he is the father of three young men himself. So I think this is a kind of a personal study for him. Um, it came uh, attention brought to my attention just because um, you know I've seen more of these books come out recently, especially after the pandemic and you know the political climate that we're in and and the social climate and culture wars and what have you. And this one kind of just rose to the top as a well-reviewed book that um, you know is a topic that isn't getting a whole lot of outward conversation. There's not a whole lot of people talking outwardly about this, so um, it's a good conversation starter about this topic that, you know, it, a lot of people appreciate, but we're only really beginning to understand. So I'll give you kind of like this, the short version of what it is and why men and boys today are struggling according to this book. Uh, and Stace, I'm really curious about your input on some of these, <laughs> these uh -oh. proposals that he says, <laughs> um, because he does a lot of research. A lot of mm -hmm. this book is, re it's very readable, but he's like, yeah. you know, there's grounded in, in research that others have been doing. And you know, he comes right out and says stuff like, you know, girls today outpace boys in school. And he illustrates this 20 ways from Sunday, but, you know, graduation rates and yeah. performance rates through the grades and what have you. Girls are more likely to graduate college than yes. boys. Um, he says, you know, one of the, the, the pay gap between men and women is shrinking and that's a good thing. It's not quite there yet, but one of the reasons it is shrinking is because most men's pay below like the really top rung mm -hmm. earners, the executives, most men's pay has been effectively stagnant since 1979, which I thought was an interesting thing in terms of like your purchasing power. So, right. you know, in 1979 you could have work at the post office and buy a house and today you really can't do that in mm -hmm. most parts of the country. Um, he talks a lot about the different programs that are put in place to help young people succeed in education. And this is what caught my eye because from the library perspective, especially in New York, we tried to keep our, our, um, you know, our eyes on, on these kinds of programs as well mm -hmm. to see how we could support. And, um, you know, education and workforce preparedness programs for young people. And that when you look at the results of many of these programs, the consistent outcome is that only women, young girls and women, are benefiting from them. Young men are not. Like, the outcomes in terms of, like, is it a program that steers you towards college? Yeah. 
it works really, they tend to work really well for girls and women, mm-hmm. but not for boys and young men, inferring that, that boys need a different approach. And it's especially exacerbated among young black men who have radically higher incarceration yeah. rates than any other category here. He goes into that as well. So basically what he's kind of spends the first part of the book talking about is that existing approaches are just not working for boys and men and why. And so he starts to look into some of those things and he brings up that kind of culture war approach to this that's kind of makes it a partisan issue in the mm-hmm. last few years. And that is, and he faults all sides mm-hmm. equally. <laughs> he feels like, you know, the reason that it's not working is because not all sides aren't understanding it. And so he says like basically liberal liberals tend to bucket this issue of um, lack of success of men and boys as you know, toxic masculinity as a learned behavior, meaning you're, you're grown up and you're ta- right. taught mm-hmm. by your culture and your family these toxic traits. And it, that kind of reduces it to an individual by individual problem. And it kind of totally bypasses the biological and systemic issues that that probably drive this. Mm-hmm. And he really calls out and says, you know, liberals in other areas, you know, around women's success, racial inequity and other things, they, when those problems are brought up, they tend to immediately look at the systemic problems. But when you bring up, you know, the problems with men, you know, struggling in life, they don't tend to look for systemic problems. Right. They tend to look at what is the individual doing mm-hmm. and what were they taught. Yeah. And then on the other side of the aisle, he, <laughs> he um, points out that conservatives tend to bucket this this problem as a, at a high level as a kind of like, you know, society is breaking down the traditional norms of man as breadwinner and woman as caregiver kind of things, you know, which again, equally avoids the biological issues that really right. need to be looked at. And then also just tries to turn back the clock. Mm-hmm. And he, he points right. out repeatedly, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and one hmm. interesting, um, little factoid is that, you know, um, I don't know where to fit this in, but I'm just going to say it right now, is that 35-year-old men four decades ago had a stronger grip than a 35-year-old man today. Interesting. Which I thought was interesting, and then it made me want to go to the gym again. Um, well, I mean, you know, if you just look, if, if I may, <laughs> I just have to sure. respond to that. You know, at the kinds of jobs that we're doing now... <laughs> You know, typing on a computer right. all day does not promote grip strength. No, and that's exactly he, what he points out. And and I think if, if he measured women's grip, <laughs> he would find the same thing, right? I mean, just the yeah. nature of what we generally are doing now as humans yeah. is different now than it was 40 years ago. So I, I that's... No, I think you you hit right the nail on the head. And he points that out, you know, in the, the change of the types of jobs men had mm-hmm. 40 years ago versus today. A lot less manufacturing, that kind of thing, because a lot of that was outsourced or moved overseas or given to robots, you know. So I have, I have a question, mm-hmm. though, about what you were saying about his, his comments about that um, the pay gap shrinking between men and women is that most men's pay is stagnant. Are there... Is their advancement also stagnant? Does he talk about that? Yeah. And so there are, so there's multiple factors in that pay gap Mm -hmm. shrinking, right? And a lot of it actually is the success of women in the workplace and just changing attitudes and social norms around that. So, um, and he in fact points out that 
you know, young adults, men and women starting out in their careers are tend to be paid very equally these days and that the gap starts when childcare is needed. Interesting. And it's still the the mother who tends to take the time off and puts the them behind. There's other things in there, but and he repeatedly points out in this book the success of of Mm -hmm. the women's equality movement. Um when it comes to that stagnation in wages, it's both the stagnation in purchasing power, which affects everyone, right. really. Um, but then also, again, the types of jobs. And so what happens is there are many people who are pushed towards college mm-hmm. these days than there were 40 years ago. right? Um, and those people can tend to go on and have you know successful careers. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of men who are not in the workforce, right. 25 to 54 years old, who would have been in the workforce 40 years ago. Had women not taken all these jobs? Or the jobs had not been shipped overseas Uh, or been given to robots or turned into technology. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. so many different factors Factors, here. And that's why this kind of the systemic look needs to happen. Um, So, but you hit the nail on the head with the term in terms of, you know, the grip strength. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing he points out, which I, I, I don't know. So I'm just kind of believing his studies is that boys develop later than girls about a year or two behind. Mm -hmm. Um, so that gets into one of his recommendations. He says they still get there. Boys can grow up to be gentlemen, but they'll just take a year or two longer than a woman would, um, or a girl would in terms of mental development. Um, and I don't think that is a new phenomenon by any means. I mean, you know, we've known that, you know, certainly I'm a 30 plus year career mm-hmm. educator. We have known this since I was in school to become an educator. Right. I don't think that has, has changed at all, but yeah. I, I do think the approaches to how we handle young boys in the classrooms might be different. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And so I'm curious uh, when I get into some of his solutions or proposed solutions, what your thoughts are. Mm-hmm. Um, he does look at some, you know, looking at the women's equality movement, he looks for what has worked there and wonders if, it, if you know, there are corollary, corollary successes that could happen on the men's side. So the, he points to the efforts of STEM or STEAM, science, technology, engineering, and math and arts, um, and how that has successfully worked over the last number of years to get more girls and young women into certain areas of the workforce, you know, mm-hmm. science, technology, and that, you know, those kind of things. But he, there isn't necessarily a corollary, corollary shift of men going into "quote unquote" traditionally women-centered mm-hmm. careers, such as teaching or health professions or the arts, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Um, and there are reasons behind that, and he goes into them. But he says that's one thing that should be looked at. And then, of course, I think you might appreciate this too: efforts and representation. You know, we've talked. You know, I read it so many times, and this was in New York. We talked about this all the time representation in the classroom for children is really, really yeah. important. And in in, from the teacher who's standing at the head of the classroom yes. to the characters in the books they're reading, right? right. Absolutely. You know, race, class, background, all of that is important so that people can understand as a kid that they can become that. Yes. Right? Yep. And he points to, um, especially in these heel areas, mm-hmm. these, this health, education, arts, and literacy, the lack of men in that workforce. Yeah. You know, yeah, and how important that is because they're mentors and they're they're role models. And then he throws this going back to that developmental year mm-hmm. gap. He throws out this idea that I had never heard of before, and this this notion of redshirting. 
where he's saying that to help address that developmental gap, hold the boys back a year, make them go through two years of pre-K or kindergarten or what have you, and then release them into the grade system. So they'll be age-wise a year older than the girls in the same classroom, but developmentally closer to them. And he points to some studies that show some success around this, but he also admits that the parents doing this today tend to be at the higher end of the economic scale and can afford to make these choices. Whereas, you know, a poor parent might not be able to. Right. But I was curious, you know, as an educator, what your thoughts are. This is one of the more controversial things in terms of the reviews of the book. Yeah. I, I don't, it's not a bad idea. I think for, for some boys, I don't know that it's something that universally that all young, you know, four to five-year-old boys need. Mm -hmm. My other concern would be what happens when you get, when they get to puberty and you have all these kids in this cohort where the boys are a year older, you know, developmentally, uh, physically developmentally older than these you know, girls who are a year younger than, than they are, I, I worry about what, what that would bring up. Right. So I think it would maybe have to be studied a little bit, but I I don't know that that's the answer. Right. I, I think, as I said, I think boys have been, have known to be slower to develop as young Mm -hmm. people, as very young people. Mm -hmm. For years and years and years and years, and we have never needed approaches like this. I I definitely think some of the points that you that this author has brought up that you've shared have have caused this gap to occur, right? And it is that emphasis on women and attracting women into the STEAM Mm -hmm. types of um, careers and really focusing on giving women agency or, you know, Mm -hmm. females agency, you know, in school and all of that. And maybe we just need to swing some of that more towards the boys again and not be all about the girls programs. And, um, I, I love the idea of encouraging, um, boys to go into these, the heel professions. I hadn't heard Mm -hmm. that acronym before, but I like it. Right. Um, you know, we're seeing right now, we have a program that we're doing where we have these student high school student mentors working with our elementary stu- students who mm-hmm. are struggling. And I see the most success with the boys. Yeah. And I think it is because of what you um, mentioned before about having these models. Right. Right. So, you know, these little boys are seeing these high school big high school boys come over and relate to them in a caring, nurturing way, you know, like, like a big brother, they're getting these models of, of boys to look up to who look like them, you know, and who live in the same town as them. And they're seeing these boys who are successful and maybe that's what, you know, we, we need to do a little bit more of that modeling of, of being successful. And, and that yeah. can be other careers. It doesn't have to be in science, medicine, engineering. You could be a teacher and be a success. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. can be an artist or, you know, an author. Yeah. You know. 
And, and I think that's one of the points he's trying to make. And, and also just as a society taking away some of the stigma around, you know, being a guy and going into one of these quote unquote, more caring professions, mm-hmm. like being a home caregiver. Yes. One of his sons is, is a, chi- went into childcare and he yeah. talks about how, you know, that's kind of a controversial thing among some parents and yeah. what have you to have a male childcare giver than a female one. Right. So there's, yeah. there's a lot to, to talk about with this. You know, one of the things, just I'll close this out, because of the nature of the topic and because he does kind of address multiple sides of, you know, the culture Mm -hmm. around this, I looked at multiple types of reviews. So I I went out to conservative websites who reviewed this book or conservative publications and liberal publications. Mm -hmm. And the thing that joined them was that they all thought that this was a very clear, well-written and easily understandable book around a very important topic. What separated them was when they would kind of take issue with how he kind of jibes at them, right? Because, uh, right. <laughs> you know, no one is getting it right. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that's kind of to be expected. But what I liked about it was that everyone thought it was a topic we should talk about. Mm-hmm. And, he, and you know, he's he points out toward the end that Parents everywhere are concerned for their kids, but it's interesting how when you talk to them alone, parents are more concerned about their boys than they are their girls these days. Um, And he says that multiple times through this book. And Mm -hmm. so I just thought, you know, it's not a long book. It's easily read. There's a chock full of information. And I learned a lot about this. And, you know, as a middle-aged guy myself, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, man, you know, how did I end up where I end up? The privilege I had growing up and with my family really allowed me to be successful in ways that others can't. And I can certainly see the pressures that that guys face these days. I think it's a really interesting topic that he chose to write about. And I'm wondering, does he give the rationale for writing this? Did he see something in his three boys that led him to 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 doing the research for this book. Yeah, part of it was that clearly he's a parent himself. Mm-hmm. And then some of it is just again where we've been as a culture and a society for the last 3 years and where who is struggling in society and how you know we can see the success of the women's movement. He brings it up over and over and over again in this book the the kind of interventions that have worked. But then when he goes in he's like it really sticks out like why certain you know, guys Mm -hmm. in this, especially single white men who don't have jobs or pay up or, you know, wage earning jobs, um, are struggling and reacting in certain ways, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to get political here, Right, right? but he's like, there's a reason, you know, there's a reason they feel left behind. There's a reason they feel disenfranchised. We know when marriage rates are so much lower Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, just things like that, that, you know, the kind of traditional role mm-hmm. or path, I should say, for a guy in society today is very different than it was 40 years ago. Yeah. And it just kind of, you know, he's like, also, it's there's not a whole lot written about this. There are, you know, people with certain particular viewpoints that write about this, you know, politicians. Right pundits. Um, many of us of a generation will remember Robert Bly coming out with a book called Iron John in the early 90s, which talked about the men's movement mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But you know, th- this is less reactionary and more kind of like, let's consider this as a problem, a systemic problem, rather than pointing fingers at each other. Well, I think it'll be really interesting to see what reaction this book causes, right? right. Like what's going to come out 
refuting this or right. agreeing with it or, you know, what that's... Because it's typically, it's books like this that do lead to change. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. And he points out, again, you know, he, he cites parallels in the women's movement a lot. And he doesn't, he points out this isn't a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. There's <laughs> room for continued improvement right. for women's equality mm-hmm. and racial equality and still be able to use some of those same interventions to help men continue to succeed. Otherwise, we're going to end up with a really yeah. bad kind of imbalance right. in society that can be bad. Well, so tell us the name again. It is Of Boys okay. and Men by Richard Reeves. We have a copy in the library. And of course, we will, along with your book, Stace, we'll yep. link it on our webpage so people can find it if they want to get it in a different way. Great. Well, that, thanks for bringing that to my attention. And thank you Very for your book. These are both great books. Nonfiction. Nonfiction. Hey. Nonfiction can be fun. <laughs> Thought-provoking. We'll be right back. Oxygen. A colorless, odorless, reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved. Suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast. A colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the Conversation C part of our podcast, and I'm so thrilled today to have somebody who is very near and dear to my heart, a longtime friend and colleague, legend in June Lake and and around the Eastern Sierra and all around the Eastern Sierra. Uh, Janet Hunt is with us today. Welcome, my friend. <laughs> thanks. So thanks for having me. You, and I, I didn't really finish the proper introduction. Janet is also the the founder and facilitator of the June Lake Jam Fest, which happens in the fall which one day is going to be like Woodstock, where it's aspirational <laughs> thinking. That would be a, a real um, accomplishment to have that happen in Gull Lake Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, can, that can hold like 100 people. Yeah. <laughs> we like it small. It's such a wonderful festival and such a great opportunity for folks, you know, in and around the Eastern Sierra to come and camp if you want to or stay in the local resorts and hear some really great music. Mm-hmm. It's really turned into a um a wonderful event. I think more and more of the locals um yeah. you know they're actually taking up a lot of the uh campsites from mm-hmm. some of our out of town visitors. But I get it. If you live in Mammoth and you want to mm-hmm. have a really nice weekend and really, you know, disconnect from real life then I I honor that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could launch right into June Lake Jam Fest right now, but maybe we should dial yeah, I think back we should, a little bit. Should back and, up a yeah. little bit because Janet has such a rich history here in the Eastern Sierra, and you've done so much. And as I mentioned, you, we were colleagues; we worked together at the Mono County Office of Education. So, why don't you tell us, Janet, about your origin story? How did you come to be here? And hit some of the highlights of things okay. that you've done. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Well, we came, uh, my husband and I and family came to the Eastern Sierra in the late 80s. My husband had spent a lot of time growing up camping. These are his mountains. Yeah. And he had an, he was a math and science teacher and had an opportunity to come work at Big Pine Schools. So um, we, we moved over here. One of my first experiences was Worm Day. At Big Pine, oh, okay. you know, where the uh, fishing season opener, the the seniors raise money for their trip, selling worms on the highway as the fishermen <laughs> went by, and uh, yeah, I didn't know that. That's I didn't great. either. <laughs> yeah, when my husband said, "Oh, honey, it's Worm Day," I go, "You're making me move to a place that has Worm Day," <laughs> but um, it's been a joy being here. Um, I. I worked for the Postal Service for yeah. a while. I um, was asked by the school. I was working at the post office in Independence, and uh, someone from the board down there asked me about teaching art, and I got my credential and you know did, did that kind of work. And then I got talked into going to work at uh, Jill Kimont Booth School in Bishop, and right. I found my people. Yes. Yeah. Uh, those students are um, amazing. Yeah. Um, they talk my language. You know, they're they're the round peg in the square hole. But you know, once they they figure out who you are, yeah. and it, you can you can reach them, and they accomplish great things. You know, I get back into my educator yes. here, <laughs> and then I was fortunate um, to come up here in two thousand and seven. And I worked first as CTAP coordinator yeah. at the tech. Yes. I, 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 you've come a long way. I have. <laughs> yeah. A, much of the reason is because you have shown me and shepherded me along and said, okay, you have to learn this thing called Facebook. You need to learn this and you need to learn that. And yeah. So, no, I'm so proud yeah. of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then I um, moved over to running the alternative ed programs, right. which is really you know, it was the perfect fit, and I was really happy and passionate about that work. So, and then in 2015, um, I had this crazy idea um, to start this community event, this music festival. Um, I had been on the Arts Council board previously. Right. So, so I went and pitched it to the board and said, look at, you know, the only place that has music in the Eastern Sierra, an event is Mammoth. And it would be nice to have one there. And I would like to, you know, let's put that into play. And they backed me up on it. And I was working for Stacy at the yep. time. And we had FedEx time. Yes, that's um, right. I forgot all about FedEx time. What is that? <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, well, um, we had uh, read uh, the book, and I forgot which book it was. Was in. I can't remember if it was in Drive. Maybe it was in Drive by Dan Pink. Right. I think that was it. And it, so you have this, this um, you have to take care of your job responsibilities, right. but you were allowed time and space um, and support to do other projects. And mm -hmm. so I said, can I use some of that time to work right. on this festival? And, you know, I very enthusiastically supported. So it, it made it, you know, a lot easier to get it done. Um, and then the, so the first festival was in September in 2015 with five bands, a single day. Mm -hmm. And it was basically, 
you know, Janet's family and friends put on a music festival. <laughs> That's how it starts. Did you hang up, you know, tablecloths for the curtain and well, tie-dyed <laughs> sheets? <laughs> yeah, but um, but there was something special about it. That location, if you've not yeah. been to Gull Lake, um, and stood there in the park and looked at the lake and looked at the Sierra Crest and Carson Peak in the background. Um, it is magical. It is. And um, there was, there's just something, the vibe is incredible. So we've continued to build the festival prior to the, um, I guess I, I kind of segued back to Jam yeah, Fest, well, didn't I? <laughs> that's all right. It's okay. It's kind of live, breathe it. But anyway, that's... Yeah. That, that's how I got here was was working in education, and my husband um, got us here. But uh, Jamfest has grown. Yes. You know, um, prior to COVID, we were. I, I'm a data wonk. I like mm-hmm. information to make mm-hmm. decisions with, and we were growing at about forty percent a year, which is a good. It's a good clip. A good thing, and yeah. then you know, and then COVID, and then you know had our virtual festival in 2020, had uh, 2021, we thought we it was a go, and then COVID, you know, mm, was right. spiking again, and people were still too yeah. nervous about it, so yeah. we postponed it. But we came back strong last year, and uh, we had good attendance, and people were just so happy. Yeah. And the energy was so positive, even though we had a rain event on right. Saturday <laughs> evening. Well, you know, for our listeners, I think a lot of our listeners are are very familiar with Jamfest, but yep. we have many who probably aren't. So maybe you can describe what it is today. You know, how many days is it? How many bands? What are the activities that people can participate in? Well, that's good. That's a good one. So um, <laughs> Jamfest is a three-day event. Starts on Friday afternoon. Um we have a kickoff party at the T-Bar Social Club on uh, Thursday night and after parties each night after the event. Um, we have about 20 bands total. Wow. Um, we have long sets. People go, you could have more bands. And I go, the long sets are really a gift to the musicians and to the listeners. Right. Because, you know, I, I go to, I have gone, I don't go as much as I used to, to festivals where you, they have music, you know, three or four stages, music continuous for the whole right. time, mm-hmm. but a lot of 45 minute sets. Yeah. yeah. And if they're really going to get to the jam, 45 minutes doesn't it's cut it. Enough. You're just hitting your stride about that time. Yeah. And I think bands, you know, the real magic is in that improvisational time where they take a four-minute song and play it for 15. Yeah. Right? And so we want to allow that space, and we get a lot more sit-ins from other bands, so mm-hmm. there's more magic because it's different and creative. And I think the bands really appreciate that. Yeah. So that's important to me. And so since I'm helped to drive the decisions, <laughs> um, nobody's complained <laughs> about it. The other thing is, is we'd only have one stage. So we have right. 30 minutes downtime between bands. Mm-hmm. We're, our production team is fabulous. They keep it to the 30 minutes. And I just tell people, go turn and look at the lake, take a little walk, yeah. you know, you know, get yourself something to eat, buy something from the and vendors. There, yeah, there's some. There's a nice little vendor 
um, area with lots of neat um, shops and yeah. people selling stuff. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, jewelry and mm-hmm. ceramics and, of course, tie-dyes mm-hmm. and other really cool, like there's one vendor sells this really nice vintage clothing um, and and good food. Yeah. So, um, Where did the, the bands and the vendors come from? Not all of them were local, right? Actually, we don't even have any local bands playing mm. at the festival. Initially, it was deliberate because I figured, well, if I book all the local bands, people that go see music see those bands regularly. All the time, mm. right, right. Right, right. And so bringing them bands that they haven't seen is actually, you know, a gift to them. I would like to include more local bands. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we have local bands that will be playing at our Theater Fest, which Mm -hmm. is another event that the um, nonprofit has in July. So, um, but yeah, we have a lot of, you know, people go, I don't know a lot of people on the lineup this year. And I go, well, probably your new favorite band (laughs) is in that list. Yeah. Yeah. And and people will say that. So is it is it difficult to recruit bands to come from out of the area to a small place like June Lake? Absolutely um, not. (laughs) (laughs) People, I think. So here's here's what's happened. We have a reputation now that Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. honor the commitment that our bands make. You know, that to come up and play, mm-hmm. you know, if that we didn't have the bands, we wouldn't have Jam Fest. Right. If we didn't have our vendors, we didn't have our attendees. It's all part of the community. Yeah. Everybody's important in this mix. Mm-hmm. But with this year, for the first time, we put an online application for bands uh, on our website and through social media, and we had over 70 applicants. Wow. wow. <laughs> that was good. For, that was in sync yeah. there. We practice. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's amazing, though. That kind of speaks to the reputation of, yeah. of Jam Fest, and then as well, just the desire to get out and perform in public. I think, that, yeah. well, the word is out that it's a really cool festival. It's right. a small boutique. Mm-hmm. We put them up in a nice place for mm-hmm. the weekend. It's not like, okay, you're playing on Friday night, so we'll put you up for Friday night. And, and then, then you're on bye your bye own. Bye. Yeah. And we want them to become part of the family, the community yeah. of the event, which is really important to me. And so they can stay you know, multiple nights. And we also have a hospitality center where we prepare hot meals mm. oh, nice. all weekend. Yeah. Nice. So we, we wine and dine them. Kind right. Of, you know? <laughs> Is, do you have a band that's like kind of the cornerstone band that comes back every year or is it always different bands? Um, we bring back about um, half this year of the 20 bands, eight are mm-hmm. returning. Okay. Um, two bands have played every festival. Uh, Groove Session, mm-hmm. who actually has played school assemblies, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so they're a local favorite, um, has played every year, and they'll be back this year. They're headlining on Friday night. And Cubensis, the Grateful Dead band, yeah. has played every year. And this year, I, I don't know if you're aware, but Craig Marshall, who is the lead guitar player, died of oh. cancer last year, which was... Oh, really I'm so sorry. Yeah, really tough. So they've been playing, you know, the band's still going. They've had different people mm-hmm. sit in and, mm-hmm. you know, fi- they're trying to figure it out because he's really not replaceable. Right. He's kind of, he was like the Papa Bear. Yeah. Right. 
But this year we're very fortunate that um, we have a, a musician, Stu Allen, mm-hmm. is going to be playing with them. And he plays, he played with Melvin Seals and JGB for a while. He has his own band called Mars Hotel, but, and he's played with, you know, with Cubensis mm-hmm. before. Wow. So okay. it's going to be really fun. Very you know, cool. Janet, when I first met you on the Mac board, the Bono Arts Council board, and when I was learning about Jamfest, having just come back here, one of the things that isn't, you said was very important to you about this festival is how it contributes back to the community. Can you talk a little bit about that and the purpose of it? And well, it, there's a couple, several ways or right. many ways that the Jam Fest contributes. It first of all, it being after Labor Day, it you know brings in mm-hmm. revenue mm-hmm. and business to the June Lake community. Yeah, and I and I think at this point the. Um, the business community really appreciates Jamfest weekends, and our people are pretty kind, right? Yeah, and you know, aren't you know super? They're not trashy. You know, in fact, <laughs> in fact, well, in fact, like the you know, you go to big concerts, and you'll there'll be tra- you know bottles and yeah. trash yeah. In, the, yeah. in the venue, and. It's not like that. Right. People pick up, at least they pile it by the trash can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Responsible. Yeah, it, it is nice. And then, you know, Jamfest was set up to help raise money for music for kids, originally with Matt. Right. And the first couple of years, we didn't make a lot, mm-hmm. so it didn't generate revenue. The last several years, I think we contributed. We had tried... Uh, to initiate a, a music program in Eastern Sierra mm-hmm. that, you know, John D. Maria from yeah. the radio station, you know, came up and started that. Um, he was good, but it wasn't, you know, teaching is a really demanding <laughs> profession and yeah. a it skill is. set. So you may love math or you may love music, but that doesn't make you a good teacher, teacher. of math or right. music. So, um, but we... It, but it gave us a little taste of it. And I know um, uh, Kristen, you know, has mm-hmm. really supports that. I, But the money, like we raised, you know, now that we're under Jalupa, June mm-hmm. Lake Loop Performing Arts Association, um, we the money we've raised, we're looking at supporting kids' music programs with that money. That's amazing. The thing that's really interesting is, you know, this year... Uh, Mac got that grant, right? Which I was so excited to hear, and and I said, you know, if you need backfill, mm-hmm. you know, we we have the revenue right. to do that. And as it turns out, other donors stepped mm-hmm. up, so this year was covered, which was really nice. Yeah. But then I'm thinking, okay, so how do we, how do we um, enhance that? How do we, you know? add more added value. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've made some offers. So when the timing's right, I know the program with all the, and this crazy weather this yeah. winter, <laughs> um, you know, uh, that maybe that piece isn't, you know, right. isn't needed quite yet, but we're there. We're also doing actually some new stuff. Um, last year, the theater fest, mm-hmm. um, the theater camp, which was co-run with the Arts Council, the kids got to perform there. Um, And we're also, uh, that will happen again this year. Matt is going to have theater camp for kids. Um, I think they also have one for June Lake or Levining that, you know, we're still working on Mm -hmm. coordinating this, Mm -hmm. but every opportunity that we can work together and offer 
um, resources or experiences for kids, uh, you know, I want to collaborate, you yeah. know, yeah. but we don't want to be redundant. We don't yeah. want to waste money. So, um, and I think we're going to do a music camp that uh, this summer, a per- percussion-based one in June Lake so that the kids can come and drum, drum at Jam Fest. You know? well, I, I know the highlight for the jazz kids at Mammoth High School is coming to play at Jam Fest every year. They really yeah. look forward to that. And they don't even mind getting up early on a Sunday to go and do that. So, and they're, and they're so good. I think they're so great. I think they're wonderful. And I've tried to talk, you know, Mike Hammer is a blessing. Yes. You know, Mammoth is so lucky. Yeah. To have him. Yeah. His energy and skill set is amazing. So whatever we can do to support yeah. that. I've tried to get him to take a slot later in the day, but he says, we kind of like our slot. I think I think it's less intimidating to the <laughs> kids to sure. play to a smaller group. You know, it's their first performance of the year. This year, they hadn't even played together. Like, as a, as a group, they hadn't really performed until Jamfest was their first performance and they they knocked it out of the park they were great they did. but we appreciate the opportunity they look well of course i mean it, it, that's really kind of what it's about mm-hmm. i'd like to have them get the chorus to come mm-hmm. and perform too so i haven't talked to him yet he's been busy yeah he's getting <laughs> married next month so. I, yeah so um but yeah i would like to enhance yeah. that that's and great. have more experiences at the event. And also, you were an early adopter. Like, you helped yes. us use um, some of the uh, some of the funding mm-hmm. here to help pay for the additional cost of having the bands come a day early and do the school right. assemblies. Yeah. We didn't try to do them this last year because COVID was still kind of yeah. around. But I'd sure like to, you know, we're, we'll probably get those back in place. You know, I think, you know, we're all either educators or librarians at this table mm-hmm. and we kind of instinctually understand, well, no, we know from the research that music education, arts education yeah. overall, but music education especially helps cognitive skills, how helps kids develop, you know, as even in reading as they get older and become adults. So this isn't just touchy-feely. It's not just fun for the kids. It's It's important. Arts education for kids is important. So it's nice that there's this big high quality, well, you described it as boutique. I think it's <laughs> got a great reputation. There's this festival that supports that, among other things, but it's so important. It gets yeah. a message out. Yeah, we're really fortunate. I've, you know, I'm looking at sustainability for this event. Um, some year I would actually like to go to it. <laughs> uh, because, you know, we're working and I've got this yeah. incredible, there's my dream team of people that have passion. They're all volunteers and, you know, uh, people are taking more and more of the tasks that I'd done originally uh, off my plate. And I see hopefully with some funding, we can actually hire an executive director and have it be their main nice. job, their, yeah. paid, their paid job. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. It would be, and, and I think that I, I think it's going to happen. I, yeah. I've got a lot of things that you know I'm I think can happen in the next few years. That's great. It's a great goal to have. One of the other things I was going to mention is we have activities at the fe- festival for mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. Last year we had Camp Playful for the first year, which was like the back of the park, mm-hmm. and it was like a 
a mud kitchen and it was just <laughs> it was just a lot of hands-on stuff and they had a little kitty tents and stuff and it's run by a former educator. She's going to be back this year. We have kids yoga we're adding and I think nice. some hula hoop stuff and um and it's free. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. When, so remind our listeners, when is it this year? What are the dates? Okay. Jamfest is always the weekend after Labor Day, and this year it's September 8th through the 10th. Awesome. Okay. And we will put the June Lake Jamfest link on our show page, listeners, so you don't have to pull over and write those dates yeah. down. You can right. just find us afterwards. Yeah. So, so Janet, it sounds like you know, you're very busy, even though you're not teaching anymore, you're super busy with the jam fest, but what else, what do you like to do in your free time when you're, you're not booking bands and coordinating this great festival? Um, I, I like playing grandma. (laughs) That's a, that's kind of a newish role for you. Yeah. I have two grandkids and they live in South Dakota. So that requires travel. Um, they're actually going to be here for jam fest this year. Oh, how fun. I know. I'm, uh, and Emery who's four is like so excited because she, we have dance parties when we're together (laughs) to play music and dance around. So she's like all about it. Awesome. I can't wait to meet her. I know. That'll be so fun. Did you grow up? in a musical family when you were young? Um, actually not. Um, I never, you know, I took piano lessons when I was younger. I guess I shouldn't say that. My mom was like the choir director at mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. My Her sister played piano and organ. So I did have that. I mm-hmm. sang in the, you know, the right. youth group stuff. But um, I always was a, I loved being a music consumer. So what was your favorite band, you know, like what was the first band that inspired you to, you know, really get into music the way you have? So, you know, remembering that I'm really old, my, my mom bought me the first album, my mom bought me an album called Gary Lewis and the Playboys. There was this song called This Diamond Ring. So it was, and, and of course, she didn't know that I had the Doors album <laughs> that I was listening to instead. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. you know, it, you know, mom meant well, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But I listened to a lot of music. I, yeah. you know, in college, we spent a lot of time, you know, sure. hanging out with friends and just you know, listening to music. And then MTV, when it was really about oh, right. music, music and right. great music videos yeah. and, you know. Yeah. I, I love Tom Petty, you know. I, I miss him dearly. Um, That's know. right. You really followed him around oh, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. How many of his concerts did you go to, do you You know, think? I... I actually don't know. I would see him at least two or three times each tour. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, since the first time I saw him, I think it was in '76 or '77. Yeah. So when it, when he first came out, first I was in out. love with him. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the Grateful Dead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did see. I stopped counting when I had seen a hundred shows. Wow. So you know that's. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you coin the phrase deadhead or was it already No. Uh, it was already there. Yeah, it was already you, there. You just subscribed. 
Yeah, I subscribed. <laughs> I remember like dressing up in my my tie dye and my hippie clothes on Halloween, mm-hmm. and you know coming to school and the the kids would go, "Oh, Mrs. Hunt, we know that's your regular clothes, and and, and your <laughs> you know, and your 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 Halloween costume is what you wear all year." Oh. <laughs> Do you still go to festivals? I do. I'm actually going to go to um, Skull and Roses, which is next weekend, and that, that's all Grateful Dead music. They oh, have a, so it's all cover bands? or all bands that play dead. Some of them in different ways. Some are bluegrass-ish. Mm-hmm. Some are, um, there's a punk. De- wow. Punk, de- punk is dead. There's um, a Latin. Um, there's actually wow. a band, I forget the name of them, but they're from Tokyo. Cool. So they, wow. so, and you know, I don't know how many times you can hear Scarlet Begonias, but it, it works. That's awesome. And it's, it's a huge, you know, everybody except Bob Weir from the, um, oh, I guess Mickey and, and Bobby aren't there, but anyway, there's, um, uh, Phil Lesh. Uh-huh. From the Grateful Dead is is playing this oh, year. Awesome. Too. Oh, very yeah. fun! And where is that? That's in Ventura. Okay, nice. They ha- so they have it at the Ventura Fairgrounds, and it's in the rodeo arena, mm-hmm. which is where the Dead played. Where oh, I, wow. I saw the Dead there in '84 and '87. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and nice. but it's a dirt thing, and it's rocky and stuff, and people get dancing in the dust, and you you end up. <laughs> You know, covered. You need to be hosed down. Right? <laughs> That's the festival experience. Yeah. Like, right? like, like Burning Man South. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very cool. Burning Man at the Beach. Burning so. Man at the Beach. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Janet, we always ask our listeners, what are you read or our guests, I'm sorry. We ask our listeners too, but we ask our guests, <laughs> what are you reading now? Well, I have to admit, I don't read very much very often these days i you're you know, too busy it's i that's kind of a, an excuse i think because i think that's good to have a practice where you read for a few minutes mm-hmm. but when i've tried to like when i get ready for bed sit up in bed and read i fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> and so i realize after a week i've read the same page like you know <laughs> five times, times yep. and realize you know it's okay happens to all that's of all us. right but I have been reading, and I haven't. I don't read it like cover to cover or whatever. Um, a book called "How Not to Diet" by Michael Greger, and he has a book called "How Not to Die," and it talks oh, about. Oh, well, I've heard of that, right? Yeah. And it's. Um, I think it, it's it's more like plant based focused, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the the you know how healthy that is to eat that way, mm-hmm. and actually I've. You know, I subscribe to that. I eat a lot less uh, meat, mm-hmm. and um, it feels good. And I've had, um, you know, I've been overweight all my life, mm-hmm. and I've been, you know, mm-hmm. struggled with that. And mm-hmm. I need a knee replacement, so I've I've actually lost eighty pounds. Wow! And wow. yeah, in the it, the last two years, healthy, and I feel like for the first time, I have a good relationship with food. Nice. And this has right. been really, really a good guide certain you know i go to a certain chapter Mm -hmm. to look up like they talk about intermittent fasting and the Mm -hmm. benefit of that that's something i've embraced so right so i don't eat after like four o'clock yeah Mm -hmm. and a lot of people do that i I do i do a form of that too yeah and it's just healthier it talks about you know the physiological thing about you know letting your body Mm -hmm. you know relax a little well it's also important that you've I mean, we all know this, right? And some I need to remind myself frequently that you know, how you fuel yourself, how 
in impacts, sorry, how you fuel your day, right? And then when you're running the June Lake Jam Fest, you need the energy at the right times. You need to be up and awake and ready to go at the right times. And so it's really important, I would imagine, to be in touch with your body that way. Um, I think I think it is. I think yeah. it's good, you know, eating sugar and things like that are that are non uh, nutritive, mm-hmm. nutritive, um, you know, and pros- highly processed foods, you know, aren't doing our doesn't do a body good, right? <laughs> <laughs> I still tell myself that all the time. I have an addiction to red licorice, so you know. Oh, I used to too, but the one thing I can't give up is my my coffee. But, right. No, I don't. I can't either. Yeah, coffee's a necessity. Coffee's like a necessity. It's just like a food group onto itself. Well, how did you find out about how not to diet? Um, I actually have some really good friends that are um, actually on our marketing team. I, mm-hmm. We have been very lucky that Bright Bulb Solutions right um, adopted us. Oh, nice! And they've pro bono have done. Um, Redid our built our website, mm-hmm. um, have done our marketing strategies. Mm-hmm. We've we've built our audience on Facebook to seven thousand people. Congrats! Wow. Yeah, over just the course of a couple of years, and um, they're vegan. Okay, and you know they they know that me losing weight is going to keep me around longer. Mm-hmm. So they they shared the How Not to Die book, and then when I started made the commitment that I needed to get this weight off so I could get my knee fixed and really mm-hmm. get my energy back. Right. Um, I picked this up. Okay. So. And it seems like it's kind of a book that you can, towards your style of reading, kind of pick up and put down and right. not, you right. know, jump around if right. needed. Right. Let me see if I can say, because there's a surgery, there's a surgery. <laughs> there's a section that talks about anti-inflammatory, mm-hmm. you know, things that are for low glycemic load, mm-hmm. you know, so different, whatever your needs yeah. are, that it, it, it brings up the science and research and stuff that supports, you know, the healthy eating. That's awesome. That sounds good. I, I think I might pick it up. I it just seems like so foundational. <laughs> right. To right. Good health. And more and more people were finding like serving those food, those hot meals mm-hmm. um, at Jamfest to our artists. More and more artists are are indicating that they're vegan. Yeah. Mm. And so we have yeah. those options um, at the hospitality room. Awesome. We actually had a vegan mac and cheese last year that <laughs> people didn't know it was vegan and they were like it was crazy that oh, a bunch of people awesome. loved it so wow i might have to get that recipe <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean talk about you know comfort food oh totally <laughs> well we will put a link to how not to diet on the show page as well so people who are looking for the book and the how not to die can find <laughs> it um through that way this has been wonderful. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. You know, bef- before we let you go, Janet, can you just remind our, you know, if people want to support the June Lake Jam Fest, how can they do so? Um, well, first of all, we love people to come and right. be part of it and bring their good energy and lots of hugs. It's a huggy environment. <laughs> so if you don't like hugs, it's probably not the place for you. <laughs> right. But um, we also, you know, we love donations. Mm-hmm. We've 
been very fortunate that people are now coming to us and saying, how can I support your work? Right. Yeah. And for example, we have a new sponsor, the Liberty Bar right. here in oh, Mammoth. Very yeah. nice. Um, they, they, you know, have made a, a donation. Nice. And they're also hosting, we're going to have a couple of after parties in Mammoth uh, this year on Friday and Saturday night. Oh, and what's great about it is the locals that are leaving Jamfest at 10 and still need to vibrate a little bit <laughs> um, can come, can, can get back to Mammoth right. where they're staying or they live, and then they only have a five-minute drive. That's good. After That's the awesome. After Very nice. So. All right. So we will, again, listeners, you can go to our show page and find June Lake Jamfest's website and... Uh, find out more about it this year. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Janet. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook, on our Instagram account, O2Starved. We love hearing from you. So comment on us on Instagram or email us from our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with a fresh episode for you. So take care and enjoy the spring. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.